Morning, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to church. Glad you're here. I'm good. Thank you for asking, one of you. No, it's all good. Hey, so we're talking about, um, we're talking about these days, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians. We know it as 1 Corinthians, oddly enough. And uh, it was a letter in which Paul wrote to the Christians in this town of Corinth about 50 miles west of Athens. And they had written a letter to Paul and they said, Paul, we got some trouble here. We need some help. And then the people that carried the letter to Paul said, Paul, they didn't even tell you half of it. So here's the rest of it. And he kind of, the messengers kind of filled Paul in and said, here's some of the other stuff that, that's going on. So Paul writes a letter back to them. And he says, look, you are followers of Jesus. You're Christ followers. You're known as Christians. He said, I'm going to call you saints. And really from then on, every person who's been known as a follower of Jesus has also been known as a saint. We don't always feel like saints, but if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've accepted his invitation into, uh, into his life and into his love and his grace, if you've accepted that, he now calls you a saint. Yeah, you're welcome, right? I mean, not from me, but from God. It's like, yeah, he calls you a saint. The problem is we're, we, none of us feels like we've arrived at that thing. So that whole sainthood thing, we're like, well, you know, you should call somebody else that. Don't call me that because I'm not there. So we called the whole series Saint Almost. Because that's like about as close as we get. Saint Almost. Or maybe some of us are like, you know, Saint a long way from, you know, or something. But the whole idea is we're broken. And there might be people in the world who look at themselves and go, well, I'm not broken. You know, fine for you Christians if you're broken, but I'm not. It's like, yeah, you know, anybody who's honest with themselves will look inside their heart, will look into their relationships and say, there's some damage there. And even though God calls us a saint, there's some things that are broken. Well, we're, gonna, we're talking about that as we walk through Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And we're going to continue that journey together today in, in a few minutes. But I want to introduce a couple that is leading a ministry among us here at Lakeside that you wouldn't necessarily hear about. It's not like really publicly known like our Kids Fest program or our student ministries or those kind of things. We have a, a ministry here at Lakeside that's designed to help us walk through some of our broken places in our lives. It's called the Lay Counseling Team. And I have Don and Shannon Mossbacher here. Why don't you guys welcome Don and Shan. Shannon. Hey. So these guys lead this team called the Lay Counseling Team. So let's just start with kind of defining our terms. What okay. is a, that's a little weird title. So what is a Lay Counseling Team? Yeah, it, it is a different terminology. But, uh, but really, the, the word lay comes from the, the word laity, which simply means common people. And, and that's all we are, this, this group that we've put together in this ministry. We're common people who have actually gone through some special training uh, to help in our skills of listening clarity, and goal setting. And each one of the counselors that are part of this uh, ministry have gone through a 30-week uh, program, a curriculum called Caring for People God's Way. And it's actually affiliated with Light University, and it's uh, part of the American Association of Christian Counseling. So you have a whole team. You guys have a whole team of people that are yes. with you mm -hmm. doing this counseling for us, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So let's, we have a picture of them. Let's put that up there. We so do. Shannon, I cut you off. You had no, something no. else you were going <clears> to <throat> add into that. Um, no, I wasn't. Okay, so you're <laughs> fine. <laughs> well, one of the things that we, we I didn't, I didn't about. use my yeah. listening <laughs> skills. That was no, my problem. I was like, no. oh, we need to, we I haven't been trained. We need to talk. Yeah. Uh, no. 
So, so essentially, we're, we're not professionals. We're not paid professionals. We're not, uh, uh, we haven't gone through a psycholo uh, psychology program and so forth. So the main thing is that we're volunteers. Okay. That's something that people need to know. So when someone, one of us says, ah, oh, I think I could use a counselor. I think someone, I could use someone who would help me. What kind of issues um, would you guys be able, be qualified to help with? Well, you know, you asked us that in the last two services, and we were going rejection and anger, and which is true because God cannot really use you. I mean, he uses all of us, but um, when we have that anger or rejection we're dealing with, it's hard to move on with a real intimate uh, relationship with Christ. And then um, we even had a couple up that came and said, oh, you know, we've lost our dream. I mean, we have kids, and now we have grandkids, we both work, we're tired, but we had a dream of this ministry. Don't let it, I mean, if, if you have a dream, God will equip you, and it's amazing. We just saw him last night and how, through a few resources, set them up, and they're on their way, and they're excited. Yeah. And I know, I think it's, we're all connecting, and I think God wants to use us all, all in a great way, and he, God says, you know, he is to prosper us and not harm us, but we, it's hard to move in a close relationship when you're damaged or yeah. have things you haven't let go. And we're just conversation. It's like, we don't analyze things or, you know, behaviors well, and, and or whatever. And the key too is that it's, it's biblically based. Yeah. This, uh, oh. The ministry is based on a biblical perspective and it comes right from the Holy Bible. And so, uh, what we're trying to do is help individuals to move through their life based on the word of God. Yeah. Sometimes I think when people think about counseling, there's a little bit of a stigma to that. It's like, oh, if I had to go to a counselor, I'm more broken than I want to admit. Or, yeah, you know, it yeah. just seems a yeah. little hard for people. Yeah. I, I, I just believe we wouldn't have you up here if I didn't think this was really valuable. But how do people, I mean, do you find that people have some fear in, in terms of contacting you or it's like it's hard to address some of the issues? Yeah. Is there a stigma uh, that goes with that? You know, no. yes and no. There is. I, but to what we do... Uh, and I've actually heard it from people who have who've called in and uh, addressed this, that really the fact that it is a volunteer thing, and this term lay, laity, there are people that know that that means just common people. A lot of people don't, but the fact is the stigma, the research has actually shown that it's less stigmatic, I guess would be a word, uh, than going to a professional initially, you know, where, and maybe their resources aren't. Uh, there's all different reasons. There's, there's a number yeah. of different reasons, but okay. there could be. There all could right. be. But so if someone is here and they're thinking, oh, that'd be really helpful for me, how do they contact you or, and the team? Okay, and there's a couple of different ways, and I, know, I think they're putting it up now, is that there's a website or, excuse me, an email that you can call or uh, write to. It's confidential. Everything is confidential that when you call in, this, this goes to an email that, that we actually will receive <clears throat> and we'll follow up from. The phone call, the phone number that's up there is also confidential. It just goes right to a voicemail. We check that. We'll follow up with you. Um, and then the other thing is that if you forget these numbers and, 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 and this contact stuff, just go to the, the church website. And on there, under adult ministries, there's a drop-down, and it, it currently says lay counseling team. So you just click on that, and it'll... Yeah. Information. Awesome. There. You guys, thanks for leading yeah, that. Thanks for right. helping us out with that. All right. Thank mm -hmm. you. Awesome. So I would encourage you, man, if, if, some, if something in your heart's going, hey, that'd be really helpful to me, then take advantage of it. I think, I think it would be helpful to you. Good stuff. All right. Let's pray together. Then we're going to look into scripture. Okay. Father in heaven, thanks for your grace to us and for the fact that you are willing 
to open up your heart to us. You do not keep yourself hidden, but you reveal yourself. And you do that primarily uh, for us through your scriptures. And so thank you for that. Open our hearts to you as we open your word and your book today. Lord, we love you. We come to you through Jesus. Amen. So we're talking through this whole concept of saint almost, and we're going to move to a new passage of 1 Corinthians today. So if you have your Bible, you want to open it up, we're going to, we're going to, excuse me, we're going to start today uh, in a kind of a three-week sort of a sub-series of the whole series in that we're going to spend the next three weekends talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14, those four chapters for the next three weekends. So today we're going to talk about those chapters. And then next weekend, we're going to come back to those same four chapters. And then the next weekend, we're going to come back to those same four chapters. That's because I know you never do what I say on the first try. No, actually, there's just a lot. Sorry, just kidding. There's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of stuff in there, various themes. And we, I just can't go like verse by verse to get to all those themes. So today we're going to do one piece of the theme. Next week, another piece. And the third week, another piece of that before we get into Easter. Right? And so I want to just help you get started on one of the topics about sainthood that comes in these four chapters of Scripture is the question of worship. How do we worship? And let's just start this with this, with this question for you. you just, this is rhetorical. You don't have to raise your hand or give me an answer or that kind of thing. I'll let you know if I want a response. But um, let me just ask you this question. Are you a good worshiper? What would it mean to be a good worshiper? worshipers because sometimes you look around it's like oh we have a worship service and you look around there's some people that are really good worshipers and then there's me you know or then there's you it's like oh, I'm not really as good as that are you a good worshiper and how would you know if you were or you were not were not and does it matter if you're a good worshiper one of the things we've been talking about as we walk through this series we've been talking about the concept of moving in our spiritual life moving from the kids table to the grown-up table of faith Right, and everybody starts out at the kids' table, and the desire of a healthy child is to move to the adult table. The desire of a healthy spiritual child is to move to the adult table. And so in all these different areas, how can we do that? And I want to ask the question, how do I move from the spiritual kids' table in worship to the adult table in worship? Right? Here's the deal. All saints worship. Every follower of Christ worships. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've accepted his invitation into his life and you've invited him into yours, you're a saint and you worship. But not all saints worship well. And that was the problem with the Corinthians. They found themselves in this spot where they weren't worshiping well. And so chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14 all focus on worship. In fact, this is the longest single continuous passage on worship in the whole New Testament. Four chapters all about worship. And when we read it, some of you will go, oh, no, no, that's not about worship. It is. All four of these are wrapped up in concepts of worship. Now, what Paul does here in these four chapters, he sort of sets up a scenario or several scenarios of worship and what worship looks like. So let me just give you a little bit of an overview. We're not going to read all of these, but just give you an overview of this. Some scenarios of worship that Paul sets up. The first one comes in chapter 11, verses 1 to 16, first half of chapter 11. And it's all about men and women and how do they do this public thing called worship. He's, he's talking about when you're praying in public, when you're preaching in public. As men and women, how do you do this thing? And the problem they had in the Corinthian church was when it came to these public activities of worship, there were some things that were going on that were leading to shame among them. 
So in their worship practices, there was shame. That is not from the heart of God. When God calls us together to worship him in a, in a group like this, in a setting like this, it is not to be about shame. And I know there are churches that are sort of known for like, we're going to shame you. We're going to shame you into this. We're going to guilt you into that. That's not God's heart in terms of how we worship. But that's what was happening among the men and women in the church at Corinth in, the, in that generation. That was a problem. Paul goes on to the next problem in chapter 11, verse 17. So the second half of chapter 11. Now he comes to this um, passage on the Lord's table or the Lord's supper or what we call communion. We're going to celebrate communion together today. We're going to remember Christ and rehearse his sacrifice today. But when the Corinthians were coming to, to that part of their worship time, again, they were leading to shame because what happened was they had some people that had a lot of money and a lot of resources and there were other people that didn't have very much at all. And for them, whenever they were going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, they would start with what they called a love feast. So they had this big party and a festival and a, and a meal together, but the people were bringing their own food and those who had a lot, they brought their own food and they didn't share it with anybody. And they pigged out right there, right before the Lord's Supper. But the people that didn't have any resources, they came, they didn't have anything to eat. And so the church kind of set them aside and said, you guys go over there, you don't have anything to eat. But meanwhile, we're going to eat our feast. And they shamed, the rich shamed those who were poor among them during the Lord's Supper. During one of their primary means of worshiping God, they shamed those who didn't have enough resources. And then you go to chapter 12. Chapter 12 is all about spiritual gifts. It's a very interesting passage. We're going to come back to this later next fall and really focus on the Spirit of God and what He's doing among us and what do spiritual gifts mean and those kinds of things. But, but know this, this, the Corinthian church was a very gifted church. God had poured out all these amazing gifts on them. They had miracle workers and healers and people that spoke in tongues and people that preached great messages and great worship leaders. They had all these great spiritual gifts. The problem was there was some pride creeping into how they use those gifts and some of the people were saying well my gift's better than your gift which is an odd thing to say because all the gifts came from God in the first place it's not like you earned it it's not like you worked it you know worked it up God gave it to you yeah but my gift's better than your gift and you know Paul gives us some illustrations he says you know some of the people there were were saying well well I'm a mouth my gift makes me a mouth and the mouth is really helpful where would the church be if we didn't have a mouth some of you are like, we'd be a lot better off if we didn't have so many mouths, right? But the mouths were saying, we're really good. But they're saying, you know, your, your gift, your gift just makes you the heel. And a mouth is way better than a heel. You know, the eye, but so Paul says, you know, the, the eye can't say uh, to the ear, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. But the church was practicing exclusion in the usage of their gifts, they were shaming people who had gifts that weren't maybe as public, weren't as, weren't, as, uh, weren't as praised in public. And so those people who had like the serving kind of gifts, the people that liked to be behind the scenes, they were shamed by the people that were in public. Paul said, that's not good worship. That's chapter 12. And then when you skip chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 13 is about worship. We'll come back to that. But chapter 14, toward the end, there's another passage that talks about women. And in fact, in this case, it said, Paul says to the women, ladies, be quiet in church, would you? I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> you want it. Ladies, 
uh, so here's the deal. I'm going to talk <clears throat> next week. Don't miss next week. Next week, we're going to go back to this, these sections, and we're going to talk all about all the things that talk about women. Ladies, you're not going to want to miss this. I promise you. Men, you must not miss this. Men, some of you are going to want to, but... No, you've got to be here for that. But what he says was, what he said was, you guys, ladies, you need to be quiet in church. There's reasons for that. Again, we'll talk about the reasons next week. But what was happening was the men were creating shame because the women were creating chaos. And it was a mess. And they needed to fix it. So next weekend, we'll talk about that. But here's what you have. You've got four chapters about worship. And everything that was going on in the Corinthians worship gatherings were hurting the church. In fact, in the beginning of the passage, Paul says this, this to them. He says, the problem is your meetings do more harm than good. If the Apostle Paul came in among us and he looked at us here at Lakeside and came into our Saturday night or Sunday morning gatherings, he looked around and, and then he would you know, maybe get me or the elder team aside or something. He says, look, your, your worship meetings are doing more harm than good. It reminds me of when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees one day, and he said to the Pharisees, you travel from one end of the country to the other to make one convert, and after you've made them a convert, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. That's a, that's a frightening statement in my mind. As someone who wants to reach people for Christ and bring people into Christ's kingdom, you make a convert, then you make them tri- twice as much a son of hell as you are. Something's broken. Paul says, your meetings do more harm than good. Then something's broken. What was happening was they had created in their worship gatherings, they had created a a tone of selfishness and pride and chaos and disgrace and shame. And none of those should be descriptive of a public gathering of believers in Christ. But those things characterized the church at Corinth. They were broken. Paul called them saints, but they were broken. Are you a good worshiper? See, a church, for a church to be a good worshiping church, needs to be filled with people that know how to worship. And all saints worship, but not all saints worship well. Grown-up saints worship well. And so how do you move from the kids' table to the grown-up table as a worshiper? That's what I want to know. Now, there are a lot of um, fallacies about worship. There are a lot of funky thoughts we get into our heads about worship and funky, funky practices we get into regarding worship. For example, one of the things that we, we often think about worship in this generation of Christ followers is we think worship equals music. So if you've been at Lakeside very long, you probably understand that we have sort of a framework that we use in our worship gathering, the way we kind of lay it out. It's like we start with some music, and then we go to some teaching, and we go, the, the music, that's the worship time, and the teaching, that's something else. And so we, we got this whole idea, it's about the worship, right? And then another funky idea we end up with about worship is that somehow it's about me, right? Worship is about me. That's a fallacious thought. It's not about us. And sometimes we put those together. We'll know, we'll know we're tracking in a bad way in worship when someone goes out in the lobby after the service is over and they go, wow, I didn't like that worship today at all. 
And what they mean was they didn't like the music. They did, it was too loud. It was the wrong song selection. They didn't like the beat. They didn't like the, the banjo or whatever the you know, instrumentation was. It's like, I didn't like it. What they're saying is I didn't like the music. But what they called is I didn't like the worship. And then the next thing is, it's like, well, it wasn't about you anyway. Let me just, let me just, do you have steel, do you have steel toed shoes on today? I should have given you a warning because I'm going to step on them a little bit today, okay? Worship is not about you. Worship is not about me. Ever. Unless your name is God. And if your parents named you God, I apologize on their behalf. See, the problem is we get in this spot in our worship gatherings where we go, well, I, I think it's about me. And if we don't like something, we become the critic of it. And then we create shame among us. Paul says all the way through these chapters in 1 Corinthians, he goes, that's not what it's about. Worship is always about God. And whether it's singing or whether it's reading or whether it's praying or whether it's being quiet or whether it's confronting sin or whatever the issue is, if it's about worship, it's about God. First and foremost, always. So, Paul says, let me address these issues that are going on with you. Now, there's a lot of other fallacies about worship that we can get into. There's a lot of other errors in thinking and errors in practice that we could get into, but I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on those issues. I think what we need to focus on for the next couple of minutes is the correctives that Paul gives. The things that he says, this will help you steer your worship in the right direction. There are two things that he gives us in these four chapters that you say, oh, this would help you figure out how to steer worship in the right direction. The first one... It's found in uh, chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Let me read three verses there. If you have your Bible, pull it out, and let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Let's just stop right there. He, he said, let me just talk about spiritual gifts and, and how this whole spiritual gift thing works. And he goes, and before we, we get into a lot of depth about spiritual gifts, let me give you an overview of how worship works. He says, a lot of you came out of a pagan background. Think about it. In the, in the church in Corinth, nobody had grown up in a Christian family. Nobody in that generation had grown up going to church at all. And so he's writing to this whole group of people, and they all came out of a pagan background. And he says, when you guys were pagans, you used to worship idols, mute idols, he says. You know, and you'd, you'd take a piece of wood, and you'd carve it up and make it into something that looks like a god or whatever. You know, and your mind makes it look like a god, and you stick it up on your mantle over your fireplace, and you worship it. He goes, that doesn't make any sense. That thing can't talk. It can't hear. Nothing but you worshiped it. 
If you had more money, you made it out of silver or out of gold or something else, but you worshiped it. It's a dumb, mute, deaf idol, powerless. And he says, a lot of you, all of you have come from that pagan background. Now, he says, the pagans had a creed or a statement about Christians. The statement that pagans made about Christians, this new faith that was popping up in their town, was this, Jesus be cursed. That was the prayer of pagans, Jesus be cursed. And that made a lot of sense to them because, you know, the the Christians were making fun of the pagans and saying, you guys worship a stick, you worship a rock, you worship a lump of gold up on your mantle. That's not very smart. They said, oh, the pagans said to the Christians, oh yeah, you worship a convicted, condemned criminal. How smart is that? You worship a guy who died on a cross. We forget this sometimes in our culture, but people died on crosses every single day in the Roman Empire. It was very common to be walking down the highway, and next to the highway, there's a cross up on the hillside, and there's a guy nailed to it. He was a criminal being executed publicly. And the pagans looked at the Christians, and they said, are you nuts? You worship a man who was convicted by the Roman government as a criminal. Who's more foolish, they said. Of course, they left out the part of resurrection. It kind of turns things all around right there. But that's, that, was their, that was their prayer for the, for the Christians. Jesus be cursed. The, the Romans, the Roman government, the Roman citizens, they had their own creed that they would follow as, as citizens of Rome. They were, in, they were in the habit of saying, Caesar is Lord. In that generation, they thought that the guy who ruled the whole empire, he was a god. We've come a long ways from how we see our political leaders today, right? But in that generation, they said, Caesar is Lord. Lord's not a word we use outside of church really anymore, but Lord means master, overseer, boss, the one in charge, king, God. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. That was the Roman way of looking at Caesar. When the Christians came along, they said, we're going to take that creed. We're going to take that faith statement and we're going to modify it a little bit and we're going to say it this way, Jesus is Lord. So to become a follower of Christ meant the pagans thought you were an idiot and the Romans thought you were a traitor. When you said Jesus is Lord, you were committing political, spiritual treason. Because you took Caesar out, you put Jesus in and said, Jesus is Lord. It was seditious to be a Christian in that generation. The Christians accepted that and they said, okay, that's going to be our creed. We've added creeds to that, you know, over the last 2,000 years. We've got the Apostles' Creed. We've got statements of faith and all these longer, more elaborate ways of saying this is our faith But that was the Christian creed. Three words. Jesus is Lord. So now the question when it comes to worship is, is that my heart, is that my creed when I worship Christ? Jesus is Lord. Because all the other stuff really doesn't matter until you get that creed nailed down, that statement, that faith nailed down. Jesus is Lord. Ask yourself the question, is Jesus my Lord? 
If you're trying to worship God and anything else or anyone else is your Lord, your worship will be messed up. Is Jesus Lord in your life? I have to ask every day when I get up, every time I come into our worship gathering, but not just here because worship happens a lot more than just what happens on this hour. I got to ask in my life, is Jesus Lord? Is there any place in my life where I'm saying, Jesus, you can be Lord of the 90%, but this 10% over here, I like it without you. Thank you. Is Jesus Lord? I got an example of how this works. Uh, this last week, uh, we were in a meeting, our staff meeting, and uh, Mike, our business administrator, said, hey, we got a tool now to kind of, you know, let us know how, how often people are showing up in church. You know, we have you, we have you write down, you know, I'm here on the, on the Connect card or the, or the app or that kind of thing. It's like, okay, we've got that. He said, we can take that information and find out how many people are here, how often. Oh, that's interesting. He said, in January, we had, rough, we had roughly, just under this, we had 3,000 distinct individuals show up at Lakeside Church on our weekend gatherings. 40% of those only came one weekend out of four. You know, probably some of that was we were talking about next 10 and big, big amounts of money. And people said, I'll, I'll come back in March. <laughs> Welcome back. We found out that 40% only came one. Out of all the people that showed up, 40% only came one weekend out of four. How many people came four weekends out of four to worship with the church in January? 13%. Now, I'm not your judge and I'm not here to shame you. I already started by saying that. I am not here to shame you at all. I'm here to ask the question for you. What keeps you from having Jesus be your Lord. There's a lot of things that keep us, even from one hour on a Sunday or a Saturday night, being able to say, I'm going to be with Jesus' people and worship together. What are those things? And obviously, there are legitimate things. But are they arising three out of four for you? That's only one area. In your life is Jesus Lord. Live the creed, Jesus is Lord. Live the creed, it sets us apart, Jesus is Lord. Live the creed. Now, there's another thing that he gives, and I don't have much time for this, but uh, in chapter 12, at the very end, and then the beginning of chapter 13, let me just give you a little bit more of what he says. Last part of chapter 12, Paul says this. Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. He's gone through a whole chapter of spiritual gifts. Now he says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. It's fine to desire the great gifts. But he says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way to go about this. And then he launches into this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, that, those last three verses that I read, those come from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What, what, 
is there anything you know about 1 Corinthians 13, what we call that chapter? What do we call that? The love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter. What's it for? Weddings. So it's for weddings. In fact, it's not about weddings whatsoever. There's nothing in there about weddings, except, you know, you are supposed to love each other when you get married. That's all true, and there's a lot of application in there that goes to weddings, but that's not what it's about. It's about worship. It's about in the middle of all these things, he's talking about worship. He goes, let me show you a better way, and then he gives us a grid through which to live our lives of worship, and here's the grid. It will not be new to most of you, although the phrasing of it may be new. A lot of times here at Lakeside, we talk about love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love one another. Love God and love others. The grid in 1 Corinthians 13, when it's all about love, it goes like this. Love God by loving others. You can come into an auditorium like this and raise your hands and worship and clap, clap, clap and all the stuff that we do here together. And all those are wonderful great moving things, moving to us and moving to God's heart. But if you come in here and do all those things, but you're in the practice of not loving your neighbor or hating your neighbor or hurting your neighbor, you're not loving God. And your worship to God is not heard. Love God by loving your neighbor. That's the grid. So you have a You have a creed, Jesus is Lord, live that. And you have a grid, love God by loving your neighbor, love God by loving others, live that. And you move from the kids' table to the adult table in worship. Jesus, I pray for us in this, you have this amazing, everlasting love for us, Lord, and we're grateful for that. And Lord, we desire to worship you. I know, I know people's desire here is to worship you heart, soul, mind, and strength. Would you lead us in that path? Would you guide us into loving you in that way? And we will worship you. Jesus is Lord. We will love you by loving others for your glory. Thank you. Amen.